Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Well, there's definitely a confluence of, of political and, and economic factors here. I think there's a recognition that the economy really has been leaving large groups of Americans behind, and, and particularly those who are typically described as working class, folks with less than a college degree. A big policy fight is brewing on the right. And this time, the fight is not all about Trump. Some of the most conservative Republicans are pushing the government to get more rather than less involved in national economic policy. Doesn't sound very Republican, does it? To say that we are going to combine the more basic socially conservative outlook of the right of center that rejects a lot of the more radically uh, progressive items that, that the left of center has at the top of its agenda right now. The emergence of this new economic counterculture, some might call it, is loosely connected to a two-year-old think tank, American Compass, run by Orrin Cass. But I would say we're more somewhere in between a, a publication and a think tank. He's a self-styled common good capitalist. Partly, I, I do just like arguing. And he wants to convince other Republicans to run with a different economic message. But I, I think there's a substantive point here, and, and it goes to what I was sort of describing as our goal. And some lawmakers are actually getting on board. Well, I think it's a tremendously popular policy platform. Like Marco Rubio. Common good capitalism is about a vibrant and growing free market. Welcome to Playbook Deep Dive. I'm Tara Palmieri. You know, my preferred term for the work we're doing at American Compass is just conservatism. Uh, I think most of what we call conservative economics or, you know, think of as right of center economic policy in America today isn't conservative at all. It's, it's libertarian. Uh, and that's a feature of the way that, that the Republican Party evolved in recent decades. But there are plenty of free market Republicans who say that common good capitalism is bad policy and bad politics for the GOP. Republicans tangle over the free market. Eliana Johnson is a contributor to Politico magazine and the editor-in-chief of the Washington Free Beacon. Uh, I think the free market, free market principles have been sort of a bedrock on the right for decades and decades. And uh, now there's a real debate about whether the market and market forces are good in and of themselves. She spoke to Orrin Cass. All right, yeah, bye-bye. Along with a bunch of his critics, to find out how this fight might change the GOP. I think the debate is over what Trump really meant, because he talked like a populist and said, well, who cares about entitlement reform? We're not we're not going to take that on. Um, but his the the main economic policy that he passed when as president was a tax bill. And so I think there's just debate about wh what did Trump mean? And in fact, 
were these economic questions central to his success? Eliana has been covering the GOP for a long time. And most recently, she's noticing some trends in how certain Republicans are talking about the economy. And I would say, you know, I I worked at National Review and Fox News previously. And so for maybe the past 10 or 12 years, I've sort of followed developments on the right uh, closely. I've noticed I covered the Tea Party closely back in 2010, 2012. There was, I think, an anger on the right towards leaders of the right. And I've seen that. I think Trump was able to capitalize on that in 2016. But I now see these sorts of ideas trickling down in the Republican Party among people like Marco Rubio. And our current government policies today get this wrong. What we need is to restore common good capitalism. Who was one of the Tea Party stars a decade ago. And one of their big issues was the debt and deficit and spending. That is not a focus of the common good capitalists. And some of them are the same people. Rubio is a good example. Tom Cotton. Well, one thing that President Trump has done over the last five years is kind of reset the view of a lot of Republican politicians. The Arkansas senator sort of played footsie with with this stuff. It's just common sense that America should come first and that American workers should come first. Mitt Romney. I'm one of those that has long argued for increasing the minimum wage. He was sort of derided as an out-of-touch rich guy as backed and entertained some of the common good capitalism ideas. And then the people who are sort of the up and coming uh, firebrands on the right, the Ohio Senate candidate, J.D. Vance. Political power can actually fix it. And the Fox News host, Tucker Carlson, who I think turned a lot of heads during the Democratic presidential primary when he said, you know, Elizabeth Warren's economic policy makes a lot of sense. It's make obvious sense. She sounds like Donald Trump at his best. I did remember during the first Trump campaign that uh, in polling, they found that a lot of the voters, sort of this populist brand of voters, that they not only were interested in Trump, but they also could have voted for Bernie. It was a toss up. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think the the previous generation of Republican leaders, the Paul Ryans of the world, the Jack Kemp's, uh, they made their names uh, talking about and, and advocating for traditional conservative free market policies. And Trump seemed to expose uh, a fallacy in their thinking, which is that voters on the right may be more socially conservative than they are economically conservative. And Ryan and others had always led with the economic stuff and actually shied away from the social stuff, like not super comfortable talking about gay marriage or other social issues like that. But I think Trump turned that thinking on its head when he made immigration. So, you know, Rubio and Paul Ryan, they supported immigration reform and Trump turned that on its head when he embraced that as a central plank of his platform and said, I'm not going to reform entitlements. And I think people started to begin thinking about what does it mean for the Republican Party if it is in fact true that their voters are more socially conservative than like economically conservative. Can you give me the breakdown of the two sides of this policy fight? What is common good capitalism? Great question. I think the key part of that is to define what is the common good in common good capitalism, because when you describe it, I think it sounds non-controversial, but when you uh, get down to brass tacks and talk about what what 
is the common good that these this group of people thinks our economic policy should be geared towards it's three things one is the formation and development of strong families the second is the support of local communities and the third is the strength of the country at large um, those are really broad things and defining them is yeah. <laughs> controversial yeah conservatives and liberals would not agree on what is a strong family what does a close community look like and particularly on the national front like saying we they are protectionists so we should have an industrial policy that favors particular industries so we are not dependent on other countries um, i think that is controversial on the right it's so vague. It could be interpreted in so many different ways, these phrases that they're using. I agree with that. The challenge is, and what American Compass and Orrin Cass and the Rubies of the World are doing is taking those broad principles and saying, what does it mean as a policy? And what we've seen, like the outgrowth of this, are support for increasing the federal minimum wage. Mitt Romney probably isn't somebody you would have thought who would come out in support of that, but both he and Tom Cotton uh, support the federal minimum wage. They've talked a lot about instituting protectionist policies to compete with China. And I think that did get a boon from the coronavirus, where the idea that we need to have our own supply chains that are protected from the like global political currents certainly gained traction. Okay, so you mentioned a few names like Orrin Cass and Rubio and Mitt Romney. How do they line up on the two sides of this policy fight? Orrin Cass is somebody who most listeners, I think, probably haven't heard of, but uh, somebody who started the first right of center think tank called American Compass that is devoted to advocating for the government to get more involved rather than less involved in economic policy. And Cass was the domestic policy advisor. He was like 28 years old on Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential Mm -hmm. campaign and has since developed relationships with other uh, politicians on the right, including J.D. Vance in Ohio and Marco Rubio in Florida. So those are people who I think you could call acolytes or advocates for the common good capitalism view. If you ask them, they'll tell you that they view their intellectual opponents as like the members of the Wall Street Journal editorial board, which Mm. has sort of been a pillar of conservative economic policy on the right. Uh, Folks like Pennsylvania Senator Pat Toomey, who have been who's been an influential economic voice and, uh, you know, scholars at the American Enterprise Institute. Mm. So which side would you say has more power in the party right now? I think that the free marketeers are like they, they remain a majority Uh, view in the party. And I would define that view as if you talk to people like Toomey uh, or, or others, they'll say like, the free market system is good in and of itself. When I talked to Toomey for this piece, he told me like, capitalism is for the common good. And there's a belief that gearing economic policies towards growth through tax cuts and other means is what benefits families, communities, and the country. Mm. Let's dive into the politics of this. Which side do you think is an easier sell for Republicans politically? I don't actually think we know yet. Trump was a confusing figure because he talked like a common good capitalist or a populist. Trump wasn't quite in the common good and talking about communities and families, but he 
talked like a populist, but then governed much more like a, a Reaganite, a traditional supply side leader, with the exception of trade policy. That's a pretty big exception. But Trump's protectionist trade policies, his advocacy for protectionist trade policies, was super controversial and met a lot of resistance on the right. And so I think what we have now is an opponents of the uh, common good capitalist view say, yeah, voters might like particularly the sort of middle class, lower middle class, uh, multi the new multiracial coalition you hear talked about a lot on the right. They might like uh, the way that this stuff sounds on the campaign trail, but ultimately they will reward politicians who oversee periods of economic growth. Mm. And so, you know, they're, they, I think they think this may succeed in the short term, but in the long term, politicians will be punished for embracing these views. Hmm. So what do you see for the future? I think there's going to be a debate over this and that the success of candidates like J.D. Vance in Ohio, Blake Masters in Arizona, these are two people Orrin Cass pointed to, has pointed to as people he's watching. That will have an impact. So we see some candidates who are running in 2022 embracing these views. And the other is, how does this play out in 2024? Part of me can see uh, these issues not being talked about that much in 2024 because Republicans are out of power and they will all be focused on Joe Biden and his economic policies. Another part of me could see this being a real bone of contention in the 2024 Republican primary, which I think will be a big field. And that is what I think common good capitalists are hoping for. They want to debate over this and they hope to win and and become the ascendant position in on the right. Okay, so say, for example, Ron DeSantis, he's the, you know, shiny star right now in the Republican Party, seen as a potential 2024 candidate. Where does he fall on this? It's interesting because there are a group of Republicans who we don't quite know. DeSantis, I don't think we know yet. He hasn't had to opine on a lot of these issues. The other folks who come to mind who I don't think we know where they stand are Mike Pompeo, Mm -hmm. the former Secretary of State, who I think is positioning himself to run. Uh, Mike Pence, who was, you know, in the Tea Party mold a decade ago, but who was Trump's vice president. And I think we don't quite know where they will land if these issues do play a central role in 2024 and if, in fact, they do run. What do the critics say about common good capitalism? They say that why do we embrace free markets in the first place? Because free markets and capitalism produce the best outcomes and that government experts, policymakers, are not particularly good at knowing and figuring out what sorts of economic policies will produce strong families, close communities, you know, a strong country. And that what we do know is, you know, they they believe that rising tide lifts all boats and that economic policy should be focused on economic growth, which is beneficial to the country at large. Senator Toomey thinks that Cass's read on Trump's legacy is misinterpreted. How? I don't want to speak for Senator Toomey, but I think the debate is over what Trump really meant, because he talked like a populist and said, well, who cares about entitlement reform? We're not we're not going to take that on. Um, But his the the main economic policy that he passed when as president was a tax bill. And so I think there's just debate about what did Trump mean? And in fact, 
were these economic questions central to his success? So there are a group of people who say, no, it wasn't. It was really more the attitudinal and the cultural stuff. They point out that within the counties Trump won, actually it was the wealthier people in those counties, even if they were poor counties generally, Mm. supported Trump. And that really they are, I, I would say, the critics say they are opportunistically characterizing this as an economic phenomenon when it was more of a social and cultural phenomenon. Got it. In your piece, you write about something called hyphenated capitalism, which some critics of common good capitalism are using as a way to diminish it. What does that mean? That is a term, actually, that I've only seen Nikki Haley, the former UN ambassador, use. And it is interesting. I think you see people like her. She's come out of the gate swinging against these common good capitalists, I, I assume because she believes this will be a central issue in the 2024 campaign and she wants to position herself early. But they they say, like, if you put any word before capitalism, common good capitalism, watered down capitalism, uh, they they say capitalism is good. Like, we don't need to modify it with any any hyphen, and we should unapology, uh, unapologetically advocate for and defend our capitalist system. So I think it's in the same way that Cass and Rubio, they will def- refer to free market fundamentalism. I think the uh, the term that the free marketeers would use for them is like proponents of hyphenated capitalism. Got it. Is this all just a war of the words? No, I think there are real substantive disagreements. And the main disagreement is like, Is economic growth, should economic growth be the goal of economic policy or should we be pursuing other ends? Like, should we gear economic policy towards towards family formation or towards national security? Mm. Um, That's actually the aspect that I think is the least controversial uh, given the past few years. I think there's more agreement on both the right and the left that like we need to take China into account when it comes to our economic policy. Are there any sort of interesting fundamental big picture questions that come out of this debate? I think, like, will conservatives in the Republican Party, in the same way that we still don't know quite where they'll land on trade, but, like, free trade was a central pillar on the right for a long time, will uh, will capitalism and the free market continue to be a central part of, you know, what it means to be a conservative? And I think the other thing we haven't talked about, Tara, is Cass and Rubio, like, they're supportive of a stronger labor movement in the United mm. States. And that's that's a pretty controversial idea on the right. Um, I would say they, they think that, the right should be not working to break labor unions, but to reform them. And so there are real like substantive issues hiding underneath like the the sort of cute wordplay. Is that reflective of Rubio's constituents in Florida or is that just something that he has sort of taken on and, and sort of pushed himself? I'm not sure, actually. I think Rubio is a young, ambitious politician who we saw um, embrace a slightly different set of issues when he campaigned as, uh, you know, an insurgent Tea Party candidate than he did on the 2016 campaign trail. And this is sort of like an evolution of, in part, part it has to be like what they think is going to be successful politically. Mm, Right. They are trying to figure out, and they they would say they're advocating policies that benefit the American worker. So they view immigration as something that because foreigners will come to the U.S. and work for lower wages, that hurts American workers. And it would help American workers to have a higher minimum wage. So they're very focused on, like, they are they are nationalists, um, which is in itself controversial. Like, those things are controversial. People don't agree that, like, foreign workers bring down the wages of American workers. There's there's certainly not agreement on that. Hmm. It, it does feel like it has this debate has some impact on how the Republicans fight against the reconciliation bill as well, correct? 
That is also a good question. I, I mean, but it would make it seems to me like if you're pro labor, you wouldn't be attacking that end of it or believe in investing in the economy. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. It's just the, like paid leave, for part. example. Like, are there there are Republicans that are in support of paid leave, right? And for sure. And I are those would be probably the common good Republicans. Is that are the common good capitalists? Yeah, it doesn't quite break down. Like there, there is some disagreement. Like you know, Tom Cotton, yes, he supports a higher minimum wage, but he's like a free marketeer on lots of other things. Um, And so it doesn't quite break down that way, but you can see some of the ideas of the common good capitalists, like trickling down, even if people adopt them piecemeal rather than wholesale. Got it. But I guess it just means like the lines of attack against Democrats are going to be fractured within the Republican Party as well. I think that's true because they can, like the common good capitalists find agreement with Democrats on, uh, on several things. And you'll notice, I think like Ro Khanna, the left-wing congressman from California has, uh, has done a bunch of joint conversations and events with Cass and American Compass. And, uh, there are others on, on the left too. And I think that's one of the fears of like the free marketeers is that the common good capitalists, like ultimately are making common cause with people who, uh, you mentioned the Bernie Trump overlap, who are like on the more socialist side of the political spectrum. Got it. Do you think Marco Rubio will run again in 2024? I don't know. Uh, I kind of hope he does, because I think it would be quite interesting to see three Floridians run if we get Rubio, Rick Scott and DeSantis. Oh, Uh, wait, you forgot Trump, though. Oh, (laughs) could be four. The thing is, if Trump runs, we're not like, you know, he's going to clear the field probably. So we may not get those other ones. But yes, three, possibly four. <laughs> so Eliana, if you were going to shoot down this whole philosophy, what would you say? I think like one of the things you hear is, you know, who is Orrin Cass? Who is Marco Rubio? Like, who are these people? And what do they know about e- the economy or economic policy or economics? Orrin Cass uh, is like a Harvard trained lawyer. He was a bank consultant. Like, why should this be- guy be like orchestrating our economic or industrial policy? And the other is that like conservatism it, by its nature is sp- supposed to be skeptical of the ability of experts and the government and planners and that this philosophy undercuts that central idea. The great dichotomy of the Trump administration, right? Yeah, Both attacks exactly. experts and then <laughs> President Trump pushed some of the biggest stimulus packages through in history with the COVID relief plans. Right. Uh, Trump, you know, was not a traditional economic conservative. And I think, Tara, we probably both remember when Trump uh, signed that tax bill into law, you know, was singling out Paul Ryan and others. But they had a very tense relationship, those two, in part because of philosophical disagreements. I don't think you really hear from Republicans that much about big spending with all these big bills that are coming forward, right? Like the bipartisan infrastructure package, reconciliation. It's like they've kind of lost their ground to stand on when fighting against, you know, raising the debt limit or um, the deficit. So is this sort of an evolution of that? Republicans seem to have lost, as you mentioned, like some credibility talking about uh, efforts to control federal spending because Reagan didn't do it super successfully. And then the Paul Ryans and the John Boehners and the George W. Bushes, they oversaw massive federal programs. That's not to say that there aren't still uh, people who believe that we should actually be trying to invest in, you know, responsible fiscal policy. But I do agree with you that on the right, uh, the politicians have lost credibility in talking about these issues. 
Thanks, Aliana. This was really great. Thank you guys for having me. And that's our show. Our producers are Adrian Hurst and Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Mike Zaffler is Playbook's daily newsletter editor. And Zach Stanton is the deputy editor. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you hear, subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. We'll take you behind the scenes of Capitol Hill again next week on another Playbook Deep Dive. I'm Tara Palmieri. Thanks for listening. What happens in the corridors of Davos? What's being whispered in the UN smoking lounge? I'm Ryan Heath, and for the better part of a decade, I've been there, reporting on the world's most powerful people. But I had a whole career before this. On the other side, working for the very people I now cover, as a spokesperson, speechwriter, and strategist. So I've seen them at their best and their worst moments. And I know what trade-offs they make because it used to be my job to make them. What's it sound like when a CEO dodges a question? And what's behind a prime minister's long pause? Of course I'm worried. We're doing this in a pandemic. We all have to be worried. Uh, We need to see what kind of government the Taliban form. Every week, starting September 15, I'll bring you close to the business leaders, regulators, innovators and lawmakers who run the world, like NATO's Jens Stoltenberg and Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the US ambassador to the UN. They'll describe their vision for shaping the world, and you'll understand what that future means for you. The balance of power is always shifting. Global Insider is how you keep up. So come on, subscribe to Politico's Global Insider wherever you're listening.